Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Even though man alienated himself from God, God so loved the world that he began a process to reconcile the world to himself. And that plan for reconciliation all began with this man named Abraham, who was truly a most unlikely hero. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffers. Abraham stands out as one of the greatest heroes in all of Scripture, not because of his perfect choices, but because of his unwavering faith. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress examines the moment when Abraham chose to walk into unknown territory, trusting God for a new destination. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Let me begin today's program with a personal question. Stop and think for a moment. Who are your heroes? Who, by virtue of their courage, has become a champion to you? Well, the Bible is filled with stories about heroes, like the one I'll describe for you today. For millions around the world, Abraham has become a standout man of faith. But here's the catch. No hero is without flaws. Sometimes our heroes carry baggage, even Abraham. And frankly, we're surprised that God chose to use him in spite of his mistakes. Today, we're launching a brand new Bible study, and yes, it's about Abraham. But at the core, it's really about you. As we examine this remarkable man, you're going to discover what it truly means to walk in faith. Our goal in this series is to help you take God-sized risks. You'll learn that God can be trusted with your biggest dreams and your deepest fears. Now, as a compliment to this brand new teaching series, I'd like to send you my newest book. It's called Walking by Faith. In my book, I refuse to dabble in idol worship. Abraham wasn't perfect, and putting his character on a pedestal only makes us feel inadequate. This isn't a book that will make you feel guilty. Instead, it will inspire you to express your trust in God by stepping forward in faith, even when your future appears uncertain. Let me send you my new book, Walking by Faith. A copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Now, let's get started. Our first message in this brand new series begins in Genesis chapter 11. I titled this opening study, Abraham, a Most Unlikely Hero. A few years ago, I read the book, True Compass. It was the autobiography of the late Senator Ted Kennedy. Reviewers of the book were surprised at the honesty at which Kennedy addressed some of the big issues in his life, his battle with alcoholism, his notorious philandering with other women, and of course, the incident on that bridge at Chappaquiddick with Mary Jo Kopechne. The reviewers said that Kennedy's candor gave credibility to his book. You know, it's the same way with the Bible of the many evidences for the inspiration, the trustworthiness of the Bible is the way the Bible treats its heroes. Instead of whitewashing their mistakes and portraying them as saints, the Bible tells their whole story, defects and all. And that's certainly true for the character we're going to begin looking at today, 
the man named Abraham. Although Abraham is called the friend of God, even though he's the father of the Jewish nation, even though he's used in the New Testament as the supreme example of faith, he had some tremendous character deficiencies and made some tremendous mistakes in his life. That ought to be an encouragement to us. If God can use Abraham, he can use anybody. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the beginning of Abraham's story. It's found at the end of Genesis chapter 11. Today, we're beginning our study of Abraham, who was truly a most unlikely hero. Now, you can actually divide the Bible into two parts. Did you know that? Oh, you're saying, Pastor, that's simple. Everybody knows that. Old Testament and New Testament, right? Well, that's one way to divide it. But here's another way. Genesis 1 through 11 is the first portion of the Bible. And if there's one theme in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it's this, man's alienation from God. God created man perfect, put him in a perfect garden, and yet when sin, the virus of sin, entered the world, man started moving further and further and further away. The climax of that alienation is in in Genesis 11 when man tries to Uh, disobey God and uh, build the Tower of Babel. That was the ultimate violation of God's will. But then, beginning in chapter 12, we find the second division of the Bible. From Genesis 12 to Revelation chapter 22, the rest of the Bible is the story of God's reconciliation with man. Even though man alienated himself from God, God so loved the world that he began a process to reconcile the world to himself. And that plan for reconciliation all began with this man named Abraham. You know, there's no way to overestimate the importance of Abraham in the Bible. Even though the whole story of the origins of the world, creation, the fall, the flood, all of those things were told in 11 chapters, the Bible devotes 14 chapters of Genesis to the life of Abraham. He's also central in the New Testament. For example, when Matthew gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he traces it back to whom? To Abraham. When we get to Romans chapter 4, and Paul is looking for the best illustration he can find of what it means to be justified through faith, he uses in chapter 4 Abraham as the prime example of justification through faith. And when we come to Hebrews 11, the great roll call of faith, Abraham receives the longest paragraph in detailing what true faith is. That's why Abraham is significant. But why is he so significant? Why is his story deserving of 14 chapters in Genesis and in other places as well? Well, certainly, first of all, because of his role in redemption. As we're going to see, Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation of Israel. Had there been no Abraham, there would have been no Israel. Had there been no Israel, there would have been no Savior. And if there had been no Jesus Christ, today you and I would still be left to suffer the consequences of our sin for all eternity. That's one reason Abraham is significant. He's central in God's role of redemption. But here's another reason for his significance. Three times in the Bible, Abraham is called the friend of God. You find that in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 7. 
Isaiah 41, verse 8, James 2, 23, he's called the friend of God. And although Moses was referred to as a friend of God, it was only Abraham who heard God say, my friend Abraham. Can you imagine what that would be like to be called the friend of God? Why is it that he was called to be the friend of God? It wasn't because of his strong spiritual upbringing. As we'll see in a few moments, Abraham did not grow up in a believing home. He grew up in the house of idol worshipers. No, it wasn't because of his spiritual background. It wasn't because he had a spotless record. He made some big mistakes, some grave sins for which he paid dearly. And yet, it was his remarkable faith, I believe, that caused God to call him his friend. You see, the one quality God admires, God desires more than any other quality in our life is faith. What is faith? It's believing that God will do what he has promised to do and acting accordingly. Believing that God will do what he's promised to do and acting accordingly. Remember Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently follow after him. I like what One scholar says about this term, friend of God, he said this title, friend of God, not only exalts Abraham, but it also brings Abraham down to our level. Let me explain what I mean. You know, when you read the Bible, you realize you're probably not going to become a great lawgiver like Moses. You're not going to become a king like David. You won't become a general like Joshua, but we can all become a friend of God. And I think that's why so much faith and space is devoted to Abraham. He exhibits how we can demonstrate that quality of faith and also be known as a friend of God. Now, in the few moments we have today, and aren't you glad I said few moments, the few moments we have left today, I want to do two things to introduce the study of Abraham. First of all, we're going to look at the call of Abraham. And then secondly, we're going to look at God's covenant with Abraham. The call of Abraham, it actually begins at the end of Genesis 11. We find that Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahar, and Haran. Now, Terah was the father of Abram. Abram was born in the city of Ur of the Chaldees, the center of the Mesopotamian Valley. And that's where God's original call to Abraham came. Let's look at the setting, first of all, of God's call to Abraham. The setting for the story is the city of Ur. And Ur was a metropolitan city. It might might be like New York or London today. And it was known for many things. It was a port city. It sat at the edge of the Persian Gulf. It was bordered by the Euphrates River. It was, uh, had a population of 300,000. I remember when 
Amy was down at the University of Texas. I went down to visit her one weekend and uh, they had a display of things they had found in an excavation of Ur of the Chaldees. And we went to see it and you can imagine how thrilled Amy was to get to go see that uh, on a weekend. But uh, we didn't stay long, but it was amazing to see the things that they had discovered from this ancient city. It was very, very uh, advanced in their civilization. But the most important thing to know about Ur of the Chaldees was it was a center for idolatry. The descendants of Ham, one of the sons of Noah, had settled in Ur, and they brought with them their idolatry. And we find from reading Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3 and verse 14, that Terah, the father of Abram, was a maker of idols. And not only that, Abraham himself was a worshiper of idols. Now, this is a key point. God did not look down at Abram and say, Abram, because you're different than all the other people, because you worship me instead of worshiping pagan gods, I'm going to call you for my purpose. No, it wasn't because of his righteousness that God called Abram. It was in spite of his unrighteousness that God called him. And may I just say a word to you today, if you are a Christian, don't ever think it's because of anything good in you that God saved you. It's not because God looked at you and saw some spark of divinity, something worth saving, that he chose to save you above others. Titus 3, 5 said, he saved us not on the basis of righteousness, deeds done in righteousness. He saved us on the basis of grace. It is all of grace. And by the way, if today you're here or listening to this program and you're not yet a Christian, but you have an understanding of your sin and your need for a Savior and that Jesus offers that gift of salvation, you didn't come to that understanding on your own. God has given you that understanding so that you might receive his gift of grace. Now, notice the command. Now, you need to stick with me on this or you'll get confused by this. I read all the commentaries this week to try to make sense out of this. There are two calls that came to Abraham. The initial call came in the end of chapter 11. When Abram was living in Terah, he was an idol worshiper. He was 60 years of age when the original call came to go to a land God would show him. We don't have a record of that call. We don't have the exact words that God said. We know that he called Abram. And in Acts 7, the New Testament, Stephen, in that sermon he preached before he was martyred for the Christian faith, he recounts this in Acts 7, verse 2. We know the original call came when Abram was 60, and he and his family left, and they started toward the promised land. They stopped in Haran, and they stayed there for 15 years in disobedience to God. And then in Genesis 12, God reiterated his call. He gave the call again to Abram. You're not where you're supposed to be. Get up and go to that country that I will show you. So look at verse one. It's the same call. This is just a record of the second one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now this is the same call he had received 15 years earlier. 
15 years earlier, living in uh, Ur of the Chaldees, God said, Abraham, I want you to do something. I want you to leave your country. Have you ever gone on an overseas trip to a country you weren't familiar with? And you know, it's interesting to visit, but it's difficult because you don't understand the language probably, you don't understand the customs, you deal in a different currency, and as interesting as that trip is, you can't wait to get home. Just imagine being told that you have to go permanently to a country you don't even know about. You have to follow God to reach it, and you're totally unfamiliar with it. That's what God said, I want you to leave the country you're familiar with. He said, not only do I want you to separate yourself from your country, but also from your relatives. Leave behind your relatives, everybody you're related to. And then he zeroes in on, and leave your father's house. That would be Tara. Tara, now, every Evidence is that Terah was a good father. He provided for his family, but as we'll see in a moment, he was an ungodly influence in Abraham's life. By the way, I want to say this, and I want to be careful how I say it. You know, we're supposed to honor our father and mother. The Bible says we're to honor our parents, but we are never to honor our parents at the expense of obeying God. That was Abram's problem. That's why he settled for 15 years in Haran. He wanted to please his father. We'll see how that unraveled in a moment. But God says, when it comes to obeying me, that takes precedence over honoring your parents. You know, I'll talk to people I have through the years. They've become a Christian. They know they need to be scripturally baptized. But they say, Pastor, I just can't do it. Not yet anyway. I came up in a different faith tradition where I got sprinkled or whatever, and uh, if I got baptized, my parents would take that like I was turning my back on my upbringing. And poor old grandpa, he's near, near death's door, and this might be just what it would take to push him over the edge if uh, I got baptized in a Baptist church. I just can't do that. No, the reason we do that is because God commands it. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus was using hyperbole. He doesn't mean that we're to hate emotionally our family, but he's saying when it comes to obeying God or pleasing your parents, obedience to God is always the priority. Sometimes we have to make a choice. And God said to Abraham, this is my plan for you. At age 60, leave everything familiar to you, your country, leave your family, leave your father's house to the land that I will show you. F.B. Meyer says, God's commands are not always accompanied by reason, but God's commands are always accompanied by a promise, either spoken or unspoken. And we find that promise beginning in verse 2. God has already said, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
These are probably the three most significant verses in all the Bible because they tell us God's plan, not just for Abraham and his descendants, but for the entire world that it includes you and me. We call this the Abrahamic covenant. And really, the rest of the Bible from Genesis 12, 4 to Revelation 22 is a story of God's fulfillment of this unconditional promise to Abraham. To understand it and and appreciate its significance. Remember how Genesis 11 ends the story of Nimrod? He was the one who built this city of Babel. And Nimrod said, let us build a city, let us make a tower, and let us make a name. And yet he never once invoked the name of God. This is the humanist manifesto. Let us do this thing. Let us build a city, build a a tower, and make a name for ourselves. It's not that they were denying God. They just didn't see the use for God. And that's what secularism is. It just doesn't have any room, any need for God. What Nimrod wanted is what every person wants. Nimrod wanted security. He thought a city would give him that. Let us build a city. He wanted solidarity, all the people coming together in one community will build a tower from which we will all worship. And then thirdly, give us significance. We'll make a name for ourselves. They tried it without God and it was a massive failure. Now God comes to Abraham and he said, I know what you want, Abraham. You're like every other person. You want security? I'll give you security. I'm going to give you a land that will belong to you and your descendants forever. And that was the first part of the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of a land. He wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about a land here on earth. In Genesis 15, we find the borders of that land that belonged to Abraham's descendants, to Israel. Interestingly, That outline in Genesis 15 describes land that Israel has never in history completely inhabited, but it will one day. In the millennium, when God fulfills His promise to believing Israel, all of this land unconditionally promised to Abraham will belong to believing Israel. You want security? I'll give you a land. You want solidarity? You want to have a community, Abraham? Like Nimrod did, I'm going to give you a nation. You're going to be the father of a great nation. Even though you're an old man and you're married to a barren wife, you're going to have not just one descendant. You're going to have so many descendants, you can't count them. Genesis 15 says they will be like the grains of sand on the seashore. They'll be like the stars in the heaven. It will be impossible to count them. And those who bless you and your nation, I will bless, God said. Notice that. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. By the way, you see that throughout history. People who blessed Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, were blessed by God. Those who cursed Israel and the Jewish people were cursed by God. We're just getting started in this brand new teaching series called Walking by Faith. And please stay with us because we all have much more to learn from Abraham's story. The word faith is ubiquitous. That's a fancy word for all over the place. And even so, the word faith is often cliched and certainly misconstrued. Well, in this series and in my new book, Walking by Faith, you'll discover what it truly means to walk in faith. 
people of faith don't get rattled. You don't find them churning over things they can't control. When we walk in faith, the outcome is peace and contentment. And that's the longing of our hearts, to experience an abiding sense of satisfaction. Abraham shows us how to walk in faith, even though he was flawed and sometimes obstinate. I'm encouraged that an imperfect man like Abraham could be called a friend of God, aren't you? Let me send you a copy of this encouraging brand new book, Walking by Faith. This will likely be one of the most important books you read all summer, and it's yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Your sacrificial gift will bear fruit. Let me give you an example. Not long ago, I heard from Cindy, who wrote, Pastor Jeffress, I was saved as a young girl, but strayed for years. I renewed my faith four years ago. Your books and your messages have helped me so much, and I want my friends and family to have the peace of Christ as well. I know I can count on you and Pathway to Victory. Well, thank you, Cindy, and for all of those of you who give generously to support Pathway to Victory, you make it possible to join God in piercing the darkness with the light of His Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. To receive a copy of the brand new book by Dr. Robert Jeffress called Walking by Faith, simply contact the Ministry of Pathway to Victory with a generous gift. Call us toll-free at 866-999-2965 or visit our website, ptv.org. And when you give $75 or more, we'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Walking by Faith teaching series, along with a study guide. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. Now, you could send your donation by mail right to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you back next time for Part 2 of the message, Abraham, a Most Unlikely Hero. That's coming up Tuesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.